0: So how, how do you get into the finals at the World Cup final and not have arrows?
1: Uh, I didn't think I could make it in mathematically, you know. So I thought, well, I only went to one World Cup. I lost in the first round, so I, I didn't think I could make it in. And then um, obviously I could, and I did, and um, it was all good. Mikey had plenty of arrows, so shot Mikey's arrows. They're fine.
0: I'm George Tech, which have here with Steve the Big cat. Anderson. And we're back after a, a long layoff after Neem, which rendered me mute. <laughs> and uh, Steve, you've had an outstanding Vegas. It was good. Yep. It, was, it was really, I was proud of you. I, I'll tell you what. You finished second at the uh, World Cup indoor final. Yep. And you also made it to the shoot down for the first time. Yep. You were one of 15 men with a perfect score after three days. Mm-hmm. With $51,000 on the line. So you and I actually have not had a real chance to chat at all because I had to say I I went straight down to San Diego and did a camp with about 70 shooters down there from five countries. And let me just say that I I was very impressed with your performance in Vegas. Thank you. But um, I'm sure that a lot of folks who are listening in right now um, probably want to know what was that like. And so if you're ready to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I went in
1: really honestly shooting the worst I have all year. So you, you don't know what to expect. I kind of was okay with that. It's like, well, you know, I don't have, if I, if I fail and I shoot a nine, I won't be totally surprised. You know, it's not like I'm coming in on my high horse thinking I'm taking it all the way to the podium. So it was. It was ideal I mean I think it got me refocused and i I had to go and concentrate on making good shots rather than you know making the shoot off and not screwing up so it was a different approach I'd say um, you know day one was not easy i I really struggled to get arrows to fire and I shot a good score I shot twenty eight x but it wasn't it wasn't one of those days where you felt good about it and then day two. Was horrible, and <laughs> I was lucky. I had two barely catch, and um, I I kept firing some high arrows, and it's just part of what I was dealing with at the moment—not being able to get the shot to fire, and um, some issues in my technique, you know, creating a, a high arrow. Um, so I made it through day two, and then I was half asleep, and you you text me and you said, Hey, you got a pretty nice bracket. And I was like, what, what's he talking about? You know, it was about four o'clock and.
0: Yeah. Cause you did have a good bracket. Yeah. I had a decent bracket. But you so. didn't know you were in the thing in the first place.
1: <laughs> no. So I, I wake up and I'm like, I guess I'm in the world cup final, you know? So
0: it's like a way to find out. Yeah. So,
1: and I, I was sick at this point. That's why I was taking a nap. I mean, I was dealing with the Vegas air and all that and sinus infection. And so I, I jump up and, I started texting people, hey, I, you know, I need your arrows. <laughs> and, um,
0: because yeah, we immediately scrambled to see if we had anything in the booth that might fit, but everything's cut to like 29 inches. That yeah, everything's
1: work. a little short. So I, uh, I got a hold of Paul Tedford. He had some.
0: So I'm, just, I, just to clarify, sorry, let me back up. Just to clarify for folks that we might have lost on this when you shoot Vegas, you can yeah. shoot 27 size arrows, but when you shoot the World Cup indoor final, you got to shoot 23 size arrows. Yeah. And you didn't bring any.
1: I didn't bring them. So, so yeah, I'm looking for some twenty threes. Okay, and let me
0: let me just back up and say one more time. The guy responsible for Easton's pro staff did not bring size twenty three arrows to the Vegas shoot.
1: Right, yeah. I always just say, of, you know, that. my boss is such a cheapskate, I didn't have any. You know, the budget's tight. So um no. Anyhow, yeah, so I I, I get a hold of Paul Tedford, and he's like, Yeah, I got some, so I I walk out the room and literally as I'm walking out of my room, George Rouse is walking out of his and I said, Hey, I need your twenty three. So he he gives me his. So now I've got two sets to choose from. And I'm shooting George's and they're okay. You know, they're all right. And I'm shooting Paul's. I like Paul's a little better. George uses like a hundred grain point. Paul uses a two hundred, so
0: so Paul's were tuning a little bit better?
1: Yeah, they were just shooting a little better. Mine, I I typically use about 30 and a half inch shaft, 180 grain point. And anyhow, so Paul's got nine arrows. So I've got four of his, he's got five. And I'm like, dude, we're in opposite sides of the bracket. Like we could we could meet in the gold medal match and we might need six arrows. I didn't know if we would or not. In an outdoor event, you need six arrows. You know, you shoot three while they run three back to you. Uh, it turned out we didn't need six, but anyhow, because we thought we might, I, I texted Mike and said, hey, I need some of yours. And he had like, I don't know, 30. So we were all good there. Uh, Mike's were cut at about 30 inches, maybe a little shorter, with a 200-grain point. Um, they, You know, not, not uh, far off from mine considering a little heavier point but a little shorter shaft so and the best part is they're mics, so they're they're like trained to hit inside out x right, right? exactly yeah. they're already pre-trained yeah and he, he told me he goes some of those are new i haven't shot them yet um you know you might have to turn the knocks and get those indexed. and i was like well these ones aren't trained but they've been around the ones that are they kind of know the drill you know and sure enough it was I, I don't know what it was about that and i think i looked at it as this is purely an opportunity, you know. I'm I'm on total house money here. I didn't I mean, think I could lose? be here. Yeah. yeah, So I I looked at it as let's go figure out how to shoot again, you know. Work on my technique and and figure out how to make good shots and win the first match. You know that was it. Win win the first match and go from there. And yeah, I did. I shot a 149. Beat Bridger Deaton. Um, my rule is don't shoot a 148 ever head to head. Next match, I shot a 148. Sure enough, I was in a shoot-off with Tate Morgan. He made a pretty good shot, you know, mostly inside-out. And then I donated one, perfect inside-out, moved on. Then Chris Schaff, I shot a 149 against him and won. Um, And then I'll be honest, I had been aiming so well through those rounds that as I got into the final and started to see a little bit of movement, it wasn't bad, but it was such a different – Sight picture from what I had seen, and it really made it hard to execute. So, um, yeah, I didn't shoot great against Jesse, but you know, put myself on the stage and uh, hold on it was now. Critical.
0: Give yourself a little credit. You you closed to within one point of Jesse Broadwater in the final.
1: Yeah, but I mean, I shot a terrible, awful score. Well, so,
0: I'm gonna just say that I think there was pressure. I think that. Oh know, yeah, no doubt. First off, great match. Honestly, a great match from a spectator standpoint. You know, because I was croaking out my announcer work mm-hmm. <clears throat> still got a bit of a croak going on sorry about this folks um you know jesse successfully defending his compound men's indoor archery world cup champion title right i mean you hadn't been in that position before to go win right that thing. you've obviously won the world field championship but it's not the same as an indoor tournament in front of a capacity crowd in the south point that's true yeah i mean there's you know a couple thousand three thousand people sitting there yeah cheering screaming their heads off you know, um, just as many of them pulling for you as we're pulling for Jesse. I mean, it was a win-win yeah. situation because you are both popular guys, and and everybody enjoyed watching you guys shoot against each other. And Jesse, you know, quite frankly, he, he left the door open for you a couple times.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, Jesse shot a one forty-six. I should always beat that. You know, my my thing is, and we, I talked with Jesse about this. You know, when I say I, I, my goal is don't shoot a one forty-eight. One forty-eight's a losing score. Except in the gold medal final. When well, the gold medal different. final, you shoot a 148, you're fine. And, uh, yeah, I
0: didn't shoot a 148 there. <laughs> yeah. 147 would have been nice. A 146 would have gave me a shot. Sure. But, you know, you've got to consider, think about how tough the competition is to make it to where you made it. Yeah. Mike Schluser and, and, and Stefan Hansen and all these you know, yeah. really fantastic shooters.
1: Yeah, it was, uh, it was total gravy just being in there. Like I said, total house money. Uh, nothing to lose at that point, and and it was honestly a, a good warm up for the final the next day, and it totally got my shot back on track.
0: Okay, so and and we're going to talk about the the Vegas shoot, you know, final, the Sunday final in a, in a couple minutes, but let's just recap the rest of the of the World Cup indoor. Tanya Jensen uh, shooting really well, um, only woman with a six hundred at that point, and so she beat Andrea Marcos from Spain. And then we had um, Song ji Young from uh, Korea, who's kind of a, a, a B-shooter in Korea, but an A-shooter if you put her anywhere else, for the recurve women. And then uh, Oh Jin-hyuk. Nice to see Oh Jin-hyuk back on the top step of a podium. He beat his own teammate um, to get there. And the Olympic champion from London 2012 uh, felt pretty good about that. You know, he's, it's been three years since he'd won a major title. Really? Yeah, which was the 2014 Asian Games. Hmm. so um you know he was feeling pretty good about that situation of course the korean recurve guys all, and and when women all shooting their x tens you know so not not going for line cutters no yeah yeah, so anyway, that was a very successful in my opinion um indoor archery world cup uh it seems to be getting better every time
1: yeah I like the way they did just the gold medal matches yeah it's too much too long for the crowd to watch if it's Every match.
0: Okay, I, I wanted to get your opinion on that because, as the announcer for the thing, I was thinking to myself, you know, it might have been nice to have had the bronze matches in here, even if they were simultaneous. Um,
1: yeah, you could do because there were some
0: good bronze matches. I mean, think about it. Brady was in a bronze match, and I mean,
1: yeah, you know, it would've that would have been, been a good way to start the, yeah, with simultaneous. Warm them up. Yep, that way you have, you have five total matches to watch, uh, four of them on a true. Twenty second clock head to head.
0: Because I mean, while the youth awards and stuff are, are, are cool, there was some other stuff and there was kind of filler. And yeah. I, I would rather have seen a bronze medal match with Brady.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely.
0: My personal opinion.
1: Yeah, I just I'm thinking back on the days when every match was in the arena. Yeah and that, that was, a was a long session.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. And and many of them were happening simultaneously, but you had to pick one for television. Yep. And it was just not fair to the rest. I mean, it just didn't yeah. feel right. By right? the
1: time you It was kind of weird because you feel like, hey, it's starting at, you know, it starts at five. So you get there to watch as a spectator and it's not done till 10, you know, whereas now it's like, hey, show up at eight o'clock and we're going four gold medal matches. And that's a little more palatable as a spectator. What
0: I'd like is for us to have the opportunity to take one of the bronze medal matches, pick the one that's going to be the most popular for the crowd and then pull that one into the main arena. Yeah, you could do that, too. You know? It doesn't matter which one. It could be the women's compound. It could be the men's recurve. It could be any of them.
1: Yeah. Pick the character and, and go. That's exactly. a good idea.
0: And I think that's good for our sport. But we've got to keep keeping those personalities up there. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's shift gears and talk about the Vegas shoot a little bit. Let's look at the big picture of the Vegas shoot. Uh, the record number of attendees this year. 3,400 and change. Almost 3,500. Is that right?
1: Something like that, that yeah. number right?
0: Yeah. Just incredible that it seems to be growing every year. It is growing every year. Sixth year now at the uh, at the South Point. And if you consider the logistics of handling that many shooters, and my personal opinion is it seems to have gone smoother this year. It seems to be getting smoother almost every year. Yeah. And I'm not seeing a big change in the number of people running the thing. You got Bruce and you got his staff. Mm-hmm. It's just they've got it well-oiled machine.
1: Yeah. The only thing I heard any complaints about was the uh regular practice arena, you know, it might take 45 minutes to get in and get a target, but other than that I mean that and that's kind of going to be the nature of the beast with that many people. Yeah,
0: sure, but I mean that's, you know, I mean that's a tremendous thing this year they did something special with the uh with the uh the practice you could you could pay for sort of a VIP practice session if you wanted to. Yeah. So I think that helped a little bit.
1: Yeah, that was nice. It was you know, they ended up cutting that in half for the the World Archery Gala which I didn't like. You know, the the fact they cut the yeah, I'm not wild about practice. having that on Sunday night. Oh, no, I'm talking about the practice being cut oh. the, the arena the practice arena was cut in half to do that. They could so they could set right, up and Right. Yeah, that was not ideal, but even then the VIP practice was smooth.
0: Yeah, okay. So, you know, with the number of people coming to Vegas every year, the growth of this particular event, in spite of the um, you know the economy being not perfect, uh, and I'm talking internationally here. We had a huge turnout of other countries. The British sent a huge contingent. Uh, the Japanese sent a big contingent. The French were there in droves. I mean, it was it was a good turnout. Let's just move ahead to the you know the main event here. You made your first. World Cup, excuse me, a Vegas final shootoff after, I don't know, five times a trying, four times trying. Uh Yeah, it was my sixth year. So you had 15 men, including yourself, with that score of 900, which is um, up there. It's not a record, but it's up there with, you know, the, the highest that you yeah, normally think, would I see. I think the
1: most is like 18, yeah. so we're right there.
0: And then the lucky dog, which was in this particular case, Dave
1: Cousins. Yeah, dude who's been shooting extremely well. Yeah.
0: So, you know, you had the opportunity there for a tremendous show, and it turned out to be that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, arguably, as opposed to last year, which was a little bit anticlimactic.
1: (laughs) Yeah, last year was its own story in itself, but
0: anticlimactic, yes. But this year was not. This year it just went kind of all the way.
1: It it worked out exactly how it should, where, you know, it it pared down – until you had, you know, five and then three and then two. It didn't right. go three and then a winner. So, and, you know, Bruce looked at me and he goes, I need one guy to miss here. And sure enough, one guy missed, the third-place shooter. And then he had his his dream of, you know, Mikey and Stefan going head-to-head. And that's exactly – that's really all you could ask for. That was, uh, from a show standpoint, about as good as it gets, and I think it went seven or eight inns. So it was a good shoot off.
0: So we've already, you know, we've already touched on this a little bit, but were you thinking it was $51,000 in your head?
1: No, I mean, it's not a life changing amount of money. It's a lot, it's a lot amount of, a lot of money. But I mean, let's be honest here. After everything, you're probably clearing about 70, 75. I was going to say
0: about a $75,000. Yeah. With, yeah. With maybe maybe a not. little
1: more. So you hand nice amount of money. Yeah, let's say you take that seventy-five and you hand you know thirty thousand to the American government, so you got forty-five k left.
0: Throw that in the four hundred one k and sit on it for twenty years.
1: Yeah, I mean, what are you gonna do? Go buy a car? No, that'd be a bad investment, right? So it, it's it's a lot of money to receive in one weekend, but it's not a life changing amount of money, right? Right. So you so you had no, perspective I was not concerned. concerned. Yeah.
0: All right. So the other the other aspect, of course, is ego. I mean, you know, I mean, you're you're somebody who works hard at what you do. I know you, you have the image of somebody that doesn't practice a ton, and you don't. <laughs> but come on, you care.
1: Yeah, you want to do well. And it's not about the money or the amount of practice you put in. or There's pride at stake. Yeah, it's simply the matter of being the Vegas champion.
0: And that would be an honorable title for anybody.
1: Yep. I mean, I mean, there's, a not, thing. there's not many accidental Vegas
0: champions. Is it one of the items on your bucket list?
1: Yeah, I'd say that. You know, That's one of the three tournaments. If I won them, I'd probably feel good about my career in general.
0: By the way, I can kind of sort of think of a couple of accidental Vegas champions. But there's a
1: couple, but not many. Not many. Not many. Not many.
0: Not many. So, um, you know, let's just... You're in the shoot-off. You're in that situation. Um, you went pretty far.
1: Yeah, so my goal the first goal was shoot a 900 you know last day was one of the best rounds i've ever shot in terms of execution and working through pressure it was probably i would say is my best round uh, it was 28x but it was just easy it came easy i wish every round was like that um and and the top three bales, every guy shot clean uh, that's rare to see so you know 12 of us and then i think the From there, it really fell off. And I want to say there was 25-ish left clean after day two. So, you know, most guys made it through.
0: It was actually a substantial number on that second day.
1: Yeah. So, most guys made it through, and the the top 12, every one of them. That was pretty cool to see. So, that was goal number one, shoot a 900. Goal number two was in the first end of the shoot-off, which was regular scoring, don't shoot a nine. Right, don't don't do that. <laughs> and I shot three X's, that was good. And then from there, all you could really ask for is shoot three X's and see what happens with the group. You know, I, yeah, just, I didn't expect just, to shoot
0: three X's. And just win. so everybody knows, we went this year, you had a practice end, then you had standard scoring, which is the big ten, mm-hmm. and then immediately went to the the, the World Archery X. Yeah. The World Archery Ten.
1: Yeah. And I think only two guys missed in the first end? Correct. It was pretty crazy.
0: It I, was really good shooting from everybody. Yeah,
1: I was expecting about half
0: the group. I did too. So,
1: um, it, but yeah, I wasn't expecting, like I said, like the year before where everybody but one guy. So yeah. I shot my three and went back and Linda was there. I said, okay, do it again. Just keep doing it. And in my head, 21 X's is, is what is the number I needed to win. And... I think Mike and Stefan went to 18 after that first end. Yeah,
0: yeah. Over the next two ends, um, you know, we had 11 people fall by the wayside over those two ends. It left Stefan and Mike and yourself, Chris Schaff and David Hauser. Yep. David Hauser, impressive kid.
1: Yeah, he's shooting well.
0: Yeah. So, um, you let down twice on your last shot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You had time
1: yeah so the first if the first one would have went off it would have been nice it would have went in uh second one had a, had a nice bobble in there and uh the you know the crowd ood and nod and i turned to the crowd and said what yeah <laughs> you know? You know? yeah i, I was what? gonna drop
0: my normal tough tough crowd line right but i decided just to shut up uh, under the circumstances you did everything you had to do and i didn't want to say a word
1: no i didn't want to i mean that that was kind of a thing for me really you don't want to sit down there and hear the crowd go ooh and and then you let that live you know so i killed it i turned and i said what and that kind of got me back on on track all right you just need to make a good shot and i, I made a pretty decent shot but you know as those, as the pressure mounts the, the ability to park the dot in the middle and fire is it goes away yeah, so sure. it was just on a slight move to the left and well i missed about a millimeter to the left
0: it worked out fine i mean from the standpoint of, of- I would love to have seen you go all the way with this thing and win the thing, but you know, really, really classy showing. Good job. Appreciate it. Seriously.
1: Yeah, I think I made it. What fifteen? I uh, shot three X's in the first end, and then four more ends or something. Yeah. So, so
0: you were like fourth or fifth overall, whatever it was.
1: As fourth, yeah, tied. Um, but I, I, you know, in my head, I think I made it fifteen arrows. Yeah. Maybe eighteen. Yeah. I don't remember. Reasonable paycheck. Yeah. Brought home some money, so that's good. Yep.
0: Anyway, moving on to, uh, to what happened after that. David Hauser uh, kind of slipped one out of there after after shooting really well, so he was done. And now you've got the last two world archery champions, you know, outdoor world archery champions, right? You got Mikey and you got Stephen Hansen, the
1: the two best shooters in the world right now. Argue by far.
0: Yeah, I won't argue the point.
1: Yeah, it, it's by far.
0: No one argue the point because they've both been consistent. They've both been solid, you know. So you got Mister Perfect. What does he call himself now, Stefan Hansen? He calls himself the uh, baby face assassin.
1: <laughs> <laughs> He's got a few different names. Yeah.
0: yeah, he does. But he had a shirt that said baby face assassin. Baby face assassin, yeah. It's a little it's awkward.
1: He's not baby faced anymore. He's yes. got a
0: beard. He's got a beard and or he has had. And and calling him the baby face assassin is just too much of a line. <laughs> it's too much of a line, I'm sorry. So, so what,
1: we to go back to Prince of Denmark or King of yeah, Denmark or Prince of,
0: you know, fresh Prince of Denmark.
1: Fresh you know, Prince you know. of X-ring.
0: <laughs> Anyways, so Mr. Perfect, Mike Schlueter, the only guy to have shot a perfect six hundred on on the uh, World Archery round, which is you know the Baby X round as far as Vegas is concerned, Mike shot thirty points and Stefan did not. Yeah, he
1: misses. Done. He had one that was close, and then he definitely misses. Third last one, one, low right. Yeah, done.
0: And Mike Schlueter won Vegas for the second time. The last time was uh, in fifteen. And it was
1: it was really weird. I, Mike was next to me, or two two people down from me in qualification on the last day, and he was shooting extremely slow. And like normally Mike's the fastest guy, and he was taking forever. And I was like, "What the freak is wrong with this guy?" You know? And I don't know what it was. If he was just being very cautious, just make sure he shoots a ten. You know, you don't got to go drag race. You just got to get through. And then he was back to his normal type of shooting in the final. And, you know, he dotted three in, like, 50 seconds and was off the line. And Stefan's got one or maybe two to fire.
0: Yeah, he's got like, to look at that.
1: Yeah, and it's – now you know, like, I need this to tie.
0: Excellent strategy, by the way.
1: Yeah, if, and for Mike, if you can if you can
0: do that, that's the way to do it. Now, I mean, a couple of years ago, we saw Mike, he had a little bit of the yips, and he's gotten over it. Clearly. Seems to have, yeah. Clearly. Let's talk about some of the other categories. Um First, before we do that, let's talk about Sarah Lopez a little bit. Yeah. You know, um, Sarah entered, it, it, first off, for the first time, this main championship, this premier championship event was the open. It wasn't the men's open, it was the open.
1: Right, which was the right thing to do.
0: I agree, 100%. Sarah Lopez entered that and uh, got some great publicity. She did well. She shot an 898. She dropped a single point on each of the last two days, finished in 79th overall.
1: Yeah, shot a three hundred the first day, the hardest day very to do Very
0: respectable. It. Very respectable shooting. But I, I got to say, Tanya Jensen, nine hundred over three days. She stayed in the women's category. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only the third time that a woman has shot a perfect Vegas round. Mary Zorn did it first back in 2010. And Sarah Lance did it, uh, I think, three or four years ago. So, um, you know, that's a solid performance from Tanya. Mm-hmm. We had... Um, a number of luminaries in the rest of the open category. You had guys like, uh, you know, besides Stefan Hansen, Mike Schlusser, and Steve Anderson, you had uh, Mario Vavro, the Italian, or sorry, uh, from, uh, from Croatia, Croatia. Yep. And Real Wild, you know, multiple world champion. Jesse Broadwater, Paul Tadford, you know, Chance Bobuff, who's won Vegas what three times? Yeah, he's so, made the shootout fourteen times. Dave Cousins, the lucky dog, who's who's been in the shootout a bunch of times and has won. Uh huh. Yeah, won a couple times, if I'm not mistaken. At least once anyway. So, you know, Sarah Lopez, uh, kudos to her for, for making that move. Um, you know, didn't, didn't shoot the 900, but certainly has the capability. It'll be interesting to see if she wants to do that again. Yeah, and
1: that was her only indoor tournament of the year. Exactly. That's the, that's the thing about it. I mean, if you're going to shoot a 900, I think you got to tune yourself up at a few other events.
0: So, Brady Ellison won uh, in Men's Recurve. Uh, Song ji Young won for the Ladies Recurve category. So, uh, no no huge surprises there uh, with Korean women um, and the performance level that they've been at. But uh, some, you know, decent money for the recurves this year. Mm-hmm. Brady took home a reasonable paycheck and then turned around and went straight to an uh, ASA event. Yeah, they shot
1: a compound. With a compound, though. <laughs>
0: And he finished about mid-pack, didn't do too badly.
1: I didn't see the results,
0: but... Yeah. Anyway, after Vegas, I went down to San Diego. We had 70 shooters down there. We had the entire Japanese team. We had uh, most of the French senior and... Uh, actually, most of the junior development team for France. We had uh, Canada's team, both junior and senior. Um, leaving somebody out here. So, anyway, we had, we had a bunch of shooters at the Eastern Archery Center of Excellence in San Diego. We did a week's worth of just intensive training, round robins, what we call distraction training, where we uh, do all sorts of things to try to throw the shooters off their pace while they're shooting a ranking round. And uh, it was a great event. It really went well. And the the guys down at the training center in San Diego, Keaton and Nick, uh, did a fantastic job putting on that camp along with... Uh, some of the folks that helped him out down there.
1: Yeah, I like that center a lot.
0: It's really nice, mm-hmm. really nice. And, and and the dorms are close by and the dining hall is close by. Just about an ideal situation. Mm-hmm. So here's the deal. They're going to have another one in June. Um, and it's going to be like a preparatory for the world championship. So teams can come in and acclimate before they go down to Mexico City.
1: Yeah, probably similar. I mean, Mexico City, you're at – Seven thousand feet elevation or yeah, so, not but, a bad idea. So. But the the temps and everything else yeah. and so, dryness
0: of the air. Be interesting to see how that works out. But um, just a, a great a great week down there with all those great shooters uh, at the Easton Center in San Diego. Uh, I even got to shoot a team round.
1: Nice. Yeah. How'd it go? Uh,
0: I I didn't lose. What, I what didn't team cause. did you shoot with? So it was uh, so Keaton Chia, who's the director of the center, uh-huh. who's also an archer. And Nick Cale, who used to be a resident athlete for the U.S. Uh, team, uh, and I, we had to shoot against uh, one of the Canadian teams. And we had him on the ropes on the first set. <laughs> by, by no means should we have. But we did.
1: Oh, that's awesome.
0: And then here's the really cool part. You know, Keaton, or sorry, Nick, um, we had to have a, a filler for the bracket for the first men's round robin matches. So we put Nick up against, now Nick hasn't touched his bow in ages. Right. Put him up against Takahara Furukawa. They were four <laughs> four before <laughs> before before Furukawa dropped the hammer on Nick.
1: He may not have touched his bow in ages, but he's got, you know, a dozen arrows in him.
0: Exactly. Exactly and that, and that's pretty much what he said too. It's like, oh thank goodness I'm I'm done now because <laughs> no way I would have been able to carry on. And that was never the intent anyway. You know, it's all good training though. So uh, heading over to Facebook here, we got a bunch of questions. And a couple of comments, it looks like, too. Like um, Vinny Blickley, congratulations on placing at the World Cup Indoor Finals. Maybe next time take your own arrows as a precaution. What for? Well, when <laughs> Yeah, exactly. See, when you're the big cat, everybody's more than happy to have you use your their arrows for your purposes.
1: I'm always more than happy to use Mike's arrows too.
0: I, on some level, let's face it. That's got to be some kind of good ad for X23s that you can take X23s from anybody, set them up and go there and you know in metal yeah i think the honestly
1: the versatility of aluminum speaks volumes with that they with the carbon i think the way the bow that it reacts out of the bow makes them a little more finicky to things like length and spine but whereas with aluminum i, I think it's a little easier to get them to work well for mo- most people you know most people say what do you shoot for a 23 and i can give them my exact set uh, setup and it'll work pretty well for them you know whereas if i said here's what i use with the carbon 23 i think they they have you know much different results
0: so uh daryl wilson says hey steve good shooting and Ve- great shooting in vegas what length and point weight were mikey's arrows that you borrowed for the world cup he's the same draw length as me so i want to copy him
1: yeah they're like 29 and a half or 30 and 200 grain points there you go we hey. missed we missed part of Vinny's about the
0: uh oh, we did I'm sorry yeah, yeah it's, it's we'll for jump you. back to that All right so Vinny uh is asking he he continually hear's the recurve sight pin being referred to as different names sight pin sight tunnel aperture are they just names or do they have different types and purposes well, That's a reasonable question So um in the, in the case of uh, sight pin uh, technically a sight pin is just a pin without a ring around it mm. like Daryl Pace used to shoot back in the uh, Back in the day, it's literally just a pin. Just a pin out the side. Yeah, and and Daryl used to shoot a pin that actually had a level on it that he busted off, so it was just a, a pin, you know, as a reference point. Might as well had a matchstick, same mm-hmm. idea. Yeah. Sight tunnel is a specific thing that Biter calls its apertures. Now an aperture is a obviously a thing you look through, right? So the sight tunnel, the Biter sight tunnel, is their brand of their particular sight pin slash. Aperture. Mm. And then aperture is, you know, you look through an aperture. Sometimes an aperture can have a pin inside it. So, yeah, they're they're just. Um, just kind of generic. But they do have different types and, I mean, different purposes, right? I mean, I'll give you an example. Dick Tone, my coach, he likes to, when he sees a shooter getting the yips, throw an open ring on that site. So they can just look at the target. Uh-huh. And relax and pull through the shot. Uh, the pin sometimes makes people slow down, right? The presence mm-hmm. of a pin. Or want to look
1: around it. uh
0: uh-huh. All of that. Yep. So um, that would be an aperture, purely and simply. It's just an open ring. Um, you've also got scopes, basically, that don't magnify, but have a plain glass and then a fiber optic or a dot stuck in them. Mm-hmm. So all of this stuff, you know, they've all got different types and purposes, but the bottom line is you've got to go with what lets you shoot the shot. Yep. And for some people, that's an open ring.
1: Yeah, it's just a... It's It's a a, reference point. Yeah, it's a side picture thing for everyone's mind's preference.
0: Chuck Cooley, stellar job, big cat. I know you wanted more, but darn good to see you look that solid. And I wholeheartedly agree. Any first blush? He
1: he said damn good.
0: Okay, well, I'm trying (laughs) to keep our... You know, I'm trying to keep our...
1: I just want to see what, what lines we can push. I don't
0: know. I guess we could probably get away with that one without <laughs> iTunes flipping on the explicit button. But you're right. He did say that. Um, he also said uh, that he'd like to see what we have to say about the new Superdrive 23 now that they've been out and about for a bit.
1: Yeah. I. Um, I they've literally been out and about for a bit. So Like,
0: like we're talking five days here.
1: Yeah. I, I don't have much report back from the... Uh, general public about them
0: i know that some of the folks that have got them have said that they've tuned right up
1: yeah i think they're gonna be and, just
0: and fine. spines have been dead on mm-hmm. didn't require any knock turning or you know floating in a bathtub or any other games um so good for 3d or stick with the super drive 25 chuck strictly that's gonna be a function of what tunes best for you
1: yeah i think for most the myself included i think the the spine options on the the 23 will be more ideal And I think for anything past, you know, if you're shooting like a a K50 or open pro or something like that, you know, you're shooting out towards 50 yards. I think the smaller arrows just tend to be that much better simply because even in those trees and wherever you're at in Alabama, you know, they might, a a little breath of wind coming through there can move that big arrow. So 23, I think is, is going to be the arrow of choice, but we'll see.
0: Hazel Eddie uh, is messing about with paper tuning and wants to know why it is that if the tear shows the fletchings are the left of the point, left tear, conventional wisdom is that one should move the launcher blade to the right for uh, you know, for a right handed shooter. It seems counterintuitive.
1: It does, yeah, but that's what actually Exactly. Makes it work.
0: So yeah, and in fact I think in the tuning guide it says seems counterintuitive, but this is what you gotta yeah,
1: do. And there there are times where you do the opposite and it may work. So
0: Yeah, that is One of the caveats is that, um, you know, sometimes the opposite is what you need. And sometimes that's a function of what's going on with the dynamics of how the bow is loading up or how the cam is leaning one way or the other. Um, Bias on a yoke, if you have a a yoke on the bow. Mm -hmm. There's all sorts of stuff that can happen there. But um, let's talk about paper tuning just a scotch here. Um, And and Hazel says that, you know, they don't want to create a, a debate about paper tuning but uh, what do you feel about it
1: um i'll go back to my my old standby when we start having competitions on who can shoot the cleanest hole through the paper rather than the best holes on paper then i'll
0: paper tune all right i like that as an answer by the way our friend vicky adkins in the uk says the simple answer is get a recurve <laughs> which i wholeheartedly agree all right just kidding. Until
1: it comes to shooting, there's nothing simple about that.
0: Well, just pull the bow and <laughs> let go. Come on. How hard can it be? Um, Jonathan Ingram <clears throat> he says he knows it'll depend on the speed rating of the bow, poundage, draw length, etc. but is there a maximum arrow weight for comfortably reaching 100 yards plus? A GPP figure, for instance, grains per pound. For the sake of the question, assume a fetal legal target bow. So we're going to say 60 pounds. No, not really.
1: The yeah. most important factor is your peep height. Yep, exactly. So people with a low peep height, like I'm talking three three and a half inches as measured at full draw from peep to center of shaft, they always have a hard time. Now your sight radius matters as well, but those two things are more important than any what I would call practical arrow weight you'll probably end up with. I mean, a 60-pound bow, anywhere between 300 and 450 you know, grains on the, the total arrow weight, you won't have a problem making it to 100 yards, provided you have the appropriate peep height and sight radius.
0: Luca Wright uh, asks a question that's got good timing from my point of view, because a lot of folks are going to get ready to set up for outdoor season, a lot of compound shooters getting ready for outdoor season, um, and a lot of recurve shooters as well. And so, this question, while not specific to either compound or recurve in terms of Luca's question, uh, actually has some application in both in both arenas. How does the angle of side rods affect feel and performance? I've noticed that professionals shoot with them both flat, in line with the long rod, and lowered at an angle. So this is obviously, you know, a little more of a recurve yeah. thing. Uh, thanks in advance. Love the podcast. So, um, Luca, the real answer to your question is going to come down to that same old answer, which is personal, personal hmm. preference. Yeah. Now, some shooters actually have a problem with clearance on follow-through if the side rods are, yeah, they, they hit their arm or they hit their, their rib cage. Mm. So um, some of that comes into play. Yeah. There is no, there's no, there's no real specific answer that says if you do X, you'll get Y.
1: Yeah, there, there's so some physics that come into play. I mean, but really what you do is you, you set up the ball how you think you should and then you adjust to what you feel you should. that's you know anytime you have the the side rods at a you know, parallel to the ground at a flat angle as you called it uh, you're effectively using the maximum length of those side rods taking away from the effect of the front bar now you drop them down and the front bar is going to have more effect because the side rods are effectively shorter Um, but you also lower your center of gravity on the bow slightly because the weight is now lower exactly it's uh I mean, there's a lot goes into it. There's really not a why. It's just more of a... Uh, there is a why, and it's, but there's not a equation as to why.
0: There's an interaction that takes place as you draw the bow between the um, amount of, of uh, preload on the stabilizers, you might call it a bias, and how your sight pin might sit relative to the target. Mm-hmm. For some people... When they're drawing back, they might be fighting that thing, trying to rise up on them or drop mm-hmm. down on them. And part of that's a function of knocking point, tiller, and also bow hand pressure.
1: Yeah, grip angle.
0: But also, there's going to be a function of that stabilizer. Yeah. And so
1: the, the stabilizer, you know, it's it, there's a lot to it when, it, when you talk about it because you can say, well, I want to have, you know, five ounces out front. Well, you might feel like five ounces out front with this grip angle is perfect, but five ounces out front with, you know, less grip angle causes issues. So no one really talks about the grip angle scenario. Not too much. As it comes to stabilizing a bow. But that that does play a big role in it and it's that's why you see and maybe these guys don't know why, but they did it. It's why you see a lot of bondo all over their grips and things like that.
0: Yep. And I think most accomplished coaches have picked up on that and they'll they'll actually eyeball what's going on you know as the as the archer comes into full draw mm-hmm. and may make appropriate changes mm-hmm. and that
1: that's uh so critical to aim and everything else so uh, you can kind of feel it you know you feel like hey I, I've got a lot of weight on the front but it feels better with that than less you know if you take if you take weight off you're having issues with waggle or something like that but you feel like the bow wants to pitch forward too hard so, you know, you can make a change to that grip angle and counter that a little bit while still keeping the weight you need on the front to counter the waggle issue you were seeing with the left to right. So there's a lot that goes into it and you have to really, one, know yourself and know how to fix what you're seeing. Pretty good. It's not, it's not, a, it's not an easy thing to talk about or teach.
0: No, and, and particularly in the context of not seeing the shooter and not seeing their setup. Right. That sort of thing. Marty Marty Judnick says uh, it was great to meet Big Cat in Vegas. And by the way, I, I would like to just express thanks to everybody that came up to us at the Easton booth and uh, expressed uh, their liking of the podcast and all that stuff. I yeah. mean, that was really nice. It's uh, always very pleasant to run into people who uh, like what we're doing and 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 have something to say about it. And so, thank you, folks, for for your kindness. Um, amazing shooting. Uh, best knock options for X twenty threes. Why aren't pin knocks? available for x23s um Dema- so there's just a lack of demand on yeah so. i mean you know it's it's uh first off the pin knocks generally speaking with heavy arrows you know if you're shooting a heavy poundage bow probably not the best combination
1: get a little more meat in the plastic there yeah i, I i've never a pin knock to me is more of a protector you know yeah
0: so if yeah, I don't you're, need it's that. Not protection, like you're arrows together.
1: Yeah, if I don't need the protection, I'm just gonna shoot standard knocks.
0: Yeah. So and there's plenty of good options. You've got the uh, the three D super knock, you've got the super knock, you've got biter knocks that fit directly into those into those bushings in both asymmetric and symmetric mm-hmm. you know, options. Yeah, there's
1: too many options yeah, of knocks. There's plenty of
0: great options. So <laughs> um <laughs> this one's funny. Uh, Jamie uh, wants to know the lowdown on the case going missing. Yeah. There was a rumor going around. In fact, I saw a post somewhere. I, I can't remember where. Somebody was like, Steve Anderson's had his bow stolen. I think it was on Twitter.
1: It, it. Well, I thought it was. So I, uh, my case was up on top of our crate. Oops. And I went to do my drug test, and uh, which is funny. I, I told Bruce, I was like, all you got to do the first year is say you're doing it. You don't have to. Yeah. The next year you can do it. True but, enough, but you gotta yeah, you we actually it. Had to yeah. do the drug test. It was me, Mike, Stefan in there. There was some others, you yeah. know.
0: Just picked it random.
1: Yep. Well, it was top.
0: Yeah, obviously five podium or plus, or so. plus a few
1: more. Yeah, I think top five plus random. So anyhow, Nate, our boss, says, Hey, your bow case is right there on top of the crate. When you're done with that, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I think I got the drug test done in less than thirty minutes. And I come back, and our crate's sitting there, and my bow case is gone. So I'm like, "Well, that's not good." And no one's around, so I didn't, I couldn't say, "Hey, you know, driver of truck, did you?" Yeah. At this to point, just this? so people
0: know, this this whole trade show thing's been torn down.
1: Yeah. So everything is saran wrapped to the crate, right? So anything that's on top of the crate is saran wrapped, except my bow case. It's sitting up above everything, saran wrapped loose. So all I can think is maybe the driver or a forklift guy thought that's going to fall off. I'll just hand carry that. And in the meantime, I come up and it's gone and no one's around to ask. And I had to get going to get to the gala. So, you know, I spent like three, four minutes there looking around nothing. I assumed someone had just walked out with it. So, um, and no one knew where it was. So we, we kind of put the word out thinking if, you know if you're going to find it you're going to find it soon so um put the word out that it was stolen and um late monday or tuesday i think it was tuesday i get a call from one of the guys unloading trucks and he goes hey your bow case is, is sitting in here i'm like are you kidding me you know so it had just been someone just tossed in the truck yeah someone hand loaded it so,
0: but for a couple days there, you had no idea,
1: right? Yeah, so I, I thought it was missing. I felt bad, like if anybody with an Easton case that looked like mine, which looks like every one of them, got stopped, you know, and hey, is that Steve's or whatever? I felt I felt bad about that, but it was the right thing to do to let people know, just in case it was stolen. And I, ser- I certainly thought it was gone. Well,
0: I won't argue the point.
1: There was, you know, there was a bow and a sight and scope and some other stuff in it, but, um, you know, Bruce was working with me to figure it out and get the security tape which is not an easy process in vegas you have it, you have to have it approved by south point security a private security firm and uh the las vegas metro police so we're looking like a week to get it back and i'm like at this point you know whatever i just want to i just want to get home i'm super sick just want to get out of vegas and yeah, yeah i wasn't super <laughs> concerned about about replaceable items. Must have been know.
0: a relief when you when it all turned up, though. Yeah,
1: it was. I didn't have to go and build anything new or whatever. Yeah, so. Nothing
0: like building a new bow or or having to get new arrows. Oh, wait a minute. Never mind.
1: <laughs> yeah. So. All right. Yeah, it was a twenty-four hour mystery or whatever.
0: You know, um, Chad Simpson is asking the simplest question that might have the most complex answer. Yeah. How did you learn to control your nerves and pressure situations?
1: Um. go back to my comment about you know you go and do it enough you rack up a bunch of credit card debt playing this game and eventually it becomes not as big of a deal as it seems so
0: yep I think that's the ultimate answer is you learn by doing
1: yeah I mean like you know had I won I don't like I said it's not a life changing thing You, yeah you go in the books as, as a Vegas winner but I'd still be in here today you know I'd still be putting in a new kitchen floor tonight when I get home. I wouldn't be having someone else do it or buying a new house or something like that. So it, it's not it's not a drastic thing, and I just – you have to look at it that way.
0: Well, you know, look, um, one item has been checked off the list, making that final, making that shit yeah. down. Yeah, You know?
1: I gave it a good run there, and I think that that gives me – it would have been disappointing to get there and miss the first end of X's or something like that, you know. Sure, um, but i got a i got a good idea what i need to do to win and i i feel like i really found something in my shooting to improve to another level
0: so. you look pretty good up there by the way thanks so you know that was really nice to see and uh gosh i, I just you know uh, everybody was really proud of you and you know we just you know if you'd won we were concerned about whether we'd be able to live with you or not but
1: You wouldn't have seen me for a week. I wouldn't have blamed you. (laughs) Uh,
0: All right. So we got uh, one of the questions that um, comes up once in a while is about um, AeroSpine. It's on the podcast uh, questions. It's on the uh, podcast emails. Oh, okay. And it's about uh, trying to tune outdoor arrows X10 Pro Tours with point weight. And so it's going to come back to full circle. Not much to be had there. Yeah. I mean, gonna, you, can,
1: it, you can look at it, John Dudley wrote an article about it. You know, put four together with 100, four with 110, four with 120, and go shoot them a pile and see which group's the best.
0: What's a bit shocking is sometimes they'll group together.
1: <laughs> yeah. They're not, not always that far off.
0: It's it's. I, I, I'm not going to name the shooter, but I know a top shooter who actually shot a tournament. This is a recurve shooter with 100 grain points in some of his arrows and 120 grain points in some of his other arrows and actually scored pretty respectably at 70 meters. There
1: was another top shooter, and she made an Olympic team with multiple different
0: point weights. Oh, yes, I know about that story. <laughs> so the point is, Paul, um, not a whole lot to be had there. And, uh, you know. Yeah, it's worth.
1: I mean, it's worth trying out. No, oh, sure, absolutely. I don't think you'll find, like, hey, this is a, this setup I'm going to shoot. 710 with and this setup i can only shoot 700 with i mean you you may gain a point here
0: or there all right i think that just about solves the situation from that standpoint i i also think that just about wraps up where we're at what do you got coming up nothing <laughs> go to japan next month for a bunch of seminars and visit the high school championships and all the usual stuff that happens in the springtime there yeah i've
1: got some you know we've got Stuff starting up middle of next month. But for the next three weeks or so, I don't have to do anything.
0: So the positive aspect of that from a certain point of view is we'll be able to get a couple more podcasts in. Yeah. So keep your questions coming, folks, to podcast at eastontp.com, Or you can drop them on our Facebook, which is Easton Target Archery. Or Steve Anderson's Facebook, which is?
1: Oh, I think it's uh, facebook.com slash Big cat archery.
0: There you go. So I believe <laughs> uh, we'll be more than happy to take questions and uh, make stuff up if we don't know the answers.
1: Yeah, just say yeah. it with enough conviction.
0: Yeah, right. No, that's a bad idea. <laughs> Somebody here's asking about MotoGP testing. Uh, I I just you know I I think it's it's going to be an interesting season.
1: Yeah, I I saw an interesting question we didn't touch on yet about. Center shot and how far a bow is cut past center.
0: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. Let's go back to that one. Um, it is a question that we received involving center shot on recurves, I think. Is that right?
1: Yeah, for, for a trad bow. Yeah, let me find that. Thing. The amount of center shot on the arrow shelf, an example, cut to center, past center, or non-center, can that influence arrow spine choice and or arrow tune?
0: Sure. Of course yeah. it can, you know, um, and it's going to be a function of just how much center shot you've got on the thing and also how much tension you've got in your release hand and how much torque you're putting on the bow. And, uh, you know, it's, it's non-trivial to tune up some of these traditional bows mm-hmm. because of all the variables. You know, there's a lot going on. Yeah. So, you know, uh, the important thing is spine comes into play in a big way. In those setups the consistency of shaft to shaft spine is really important because you're really making that arrow bend around that bow Mm -hmm. and so um high quality arrows come into play you know back in the days of wood arrows people would spine them within a couple pounds or a pound um you could argue that's not good enough today you know it's got to be dead on and so um, you know selecting an arrow correctly tuning the bow and still dealing with all the variables of a trad bow setup. It's a great challenge. A lot mm-hmm. of fun.
1: Yeah, he, he goes on to mention that um, scores in Lancaster seemed a lot higher than uh, the inner, Indoor Archery Bare Cup in Bangkok last year. I have to remind him that Lancaster has an 11 mixed in. So, although I don't think there's a you know pile of 11s being shot, there is.
0: Well, the, the 11 ring is definitely yeah. a factor that prevents you from being able. To directly compare Lancaster scores, mm-hmm.
1: and, you could pull elevens out and yeah. know, but I don't. Yeah, I don't know if they're shooting similar setups. I, I don't know anything about that. You shot Lancaster. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, we didn't have a chance to touch on that very much.
1: Yeah, it was uh, it's a good event. Mike won.
0: You know, it's <laughs> it, it it's getting to be a better event every year. It seems to me.
1: Yeah, I think, and then Brady won. I do believe on the recurve side. Yeah,
0: and Robbie's uh, Robbie's a little mad at me because I made a comment uh, somewhere in social media that that maybe archers was not the best choice for results. And I oh. and also uh, might have commented that perhaps asking people questions between each arrow is maybe not the best idea. I, I think it's cool. It's uh, Yeah, Robbie's, Robbie's mad at me.
1: So. Well, the, the issue is you get guys who they can't give a good answer. You know? they, well, they lack it's, awkward. The, it's awkward. Yeah, they lack the ability to flip the switch between – I'm trying to focus and shoot versus, hey, I'm going to give the crowd a little, you know, a little yeah. crowd pleaser here. Yeah,
0: I mean, there's 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 you and, and I'll say that there's Dave Cousins and I'll say that there's, I think Mike Schluser handled it pretty well. But not everybody's cut out for that kind of thing. Yeah, not, not everyone can
1: turn and talk and, and then go back to it. And not everybody has much to say either. Some guys just don't got a lot to say.
0: But, you know, credit to Rob for doing something different. Yeah,
1: I like the tournament. It's fun. The place we shot it at was incredible.
0: It looked like it. Yeah, It's
1: like a billion square feet or something like that. It was yeah. unbelievable. It's a huge sports center for yeah. different sports. Packed constantly with people doing sports.
0: And it seems to me that uh, you know the event went very smoothly.
1: Yeah, it was. I mean, it was aided by the lack of thirty-eight inches of snow.
0: Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no, no, no uh, blizzard mageddon Yeah,
1: no. It was a January is a good month. I mean. Uh, Neem to Lancaster and back and then getting prepped for Vegas. And yeah. So back, a,
0: you know, we we didn't talk after Neem either. So maybe briefly just recap Neem real quick here. And, yeah.
1: We're kind of doubling back. Every, we are. Everyone thought they were out. Like, oh, finally this episode's over. Yeah, I thought it was and over now, too. Here but we then go. I
0: just realized we didn't talk about Neem at all. Man, did I get sick after Neem. Yeah. But um, the event itself, another huge turnout, another tremendous uh, final a little different this year um a little more of the Vegas aspect of it not so much the show girls you know <laughs> yeah
1: the neem dancing girls yeah. they were they were absent i huh? thought it
0: went pretty smoothly though
1: it was i like neem it's a good event always is um yeah it was Stefan won the men's class he did uh, yeah john charles won men's recurve
0: he did uh, against uh, uh, Ojin Huk. Ojin Hyuk Am I right? Or was it Brady? No, it was Ojin Hyuk
1: Yeah, because Brady was bronze. Yep. So, yeah. That I was mean, a great match, actually. Yeah. Truthfully.
0: Seriously. And, um, you know, I think the crowd is unmatched from the standpoint yep. of appreciating what they're seeing down there. Yeah. You know, even the Vegas crowd, um, you know, the French crowd is behind every single category, mm-hmm. right, 100%. Vegas crowd, I think sometimes the recurves are out there and they're like, eh. Uh, uh. Vegas crowds are getting better, though. They are, it absolutely. Is. It's a great crowd. Yeah. So, you know, all in all, we've had some tremendous events. We're a little bit of a lull right now. You're getting ready for outdoor season, more or less? Or you still got indoor nationals to look forward
1: yeah, to? Yeah, indoor nationals, so I'm getting ready for outdoor season. <laughs> right. I, I'm not a big fan of the five-spot game. I think it's boring. I think it's dumb.
0: We got, uh, is it, it's not Louisville now, it's It's, uh, it's in Cincinnati. Cincinnati. That's
1: the only part about it I'm looking forward to is that it's somewhere else.
0: Other than Louisville. Yep. I see. Well, that'll be interesting to see how that goes. I think it'll be about the same number of people. It's getting to be a bigger event every year, yeah, yeah, the NFAA thousand. Indoor Nationals. Mm-hmm. And that's the old five-spot game with the uh, traditional blue and white NFAA target. But, uh, yeah, the turnout's getting bigger every every year, it seems.
1: Yeah. Archery's growing. And I mean, then, there's not many uh, many tournament organizations that aren't seeing growth, and the ones that aren't seeing growth, I don't know what they're like. I, I don't know how you. You pretty much have to try to not grow.
0: I think it's great that Target Archery is on a positive trajectory. Yep, agreed. And uh, all of you listening are part of that. So thanks for thank you for listening. Thank thanks you for listening for, while we drag on. Yeah, for, and and thanks for your January. comments. I really appreciate um, your patience and. The fact that we didn't get a podcast out for a period of time here, but quite frankly, uh, we were not physically in a condition to do it.
1: So. I, I think our listeners should suggest podcast topics, like a, a full podcast about
0: what? All right. We've had a couple of those, you know. Yeah. We've had a couple of people ask, for example, um, some stuff that's never going to happen, like what's my history in archery? We're not going to spend half an hour talking about that. Why not? Because it's boring. Give um, the people what they want, George. Right. Well, we can talk about your history <laughs> in archery. For yeah, that it's for brief. Now. I think it'll be better. <laughs> All right. Anyways, yeah, actually, not a bad idea, though. If you, if folks want a, a whole show on a particular topic.
1: Yeah, we, we could get everyone
0: behind it. And We could pick one. So, we can do that. All right. Anyway, back to um, our social media.
1: Yes. Easton Target Archery.
0: Yeah, Easton Target Archery and Steve Anderson Archery on Facebook. Mm-hmm and um so love hearing from you thank you so much for your patience and loyalty as uh, as listeners and we'll catch you on the next show
1: catch you outside end of show end of show